What's going on, everybody? This is Rafiki, and welcome to Parabiti, a podcast that will take you to the West Indies and beyond with powerful short stories written by yours truly. Here, we will also dive into the history, culture, and literature of the region I call home and the parts of the world that help build it into what it is today. Hey guys, welcome back. I hope you're all doing well. Um, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm honestly a little annoyed because I've been in New York for a while now. We're all the way at the end of January and I still haven't gotten to see any snow. I mean, it snowed, but just nothing has, you know, stuck to the ground. And I feel like I'm still in Atlanta where we might be lucky to get a few flurries, but um, we wouldn't get anything to to stick. And so that has just been annoying me right now because it's snowing right outside my window but uh it hasn't covered the city and I'm wondering if it will cover the city um since I get here but uh, I hope you guys have been doing well I have honestly been doing my best to relax this past week um between like doing things for the podcast and like working and you know my my other things that I do you know sometimes I feel tired but I I've learned since graduating college that it's better to be tired and be fulfilled than be tired and be unfulfilled. So I make sure I take time to, you know, exercise and then write and produce for this podcast. That way I don't feel like all my time is just passing me by because I do this, you know, I do this to, to educate other people and connect with other people, but I do this for fun. So um, I just wanted to add that in terms of my recap for the week. I also wanted to talk about the pros and cons of upholding traditions. So I know a lot of the talk about traditions on this podcast has really been around um, like religious traditions or spiritual traditions. But I think it's important to remember that traditions can be big or small. They can be, you know, practiced within a household or practiced by an entire nation of people, by an ethnic group of people. Um, And so when I think about the pros and cons of upholding tradition, I think about continuing things that we have done prior to colonization and when I say that obviously it's because you know the way colonization has worked um, around the globe when it comes to black and and brown people is that it has erased a lot of who we are Um, and now we have new traditions that um, are in a sense really ingrained into our cultures whatever they might be but they may or may not have been there prior to colonization and so I've noticed that with like my generation and, and generations before us, I don't like to credit everything to one generation, but I've noticed that with, you know, the newer generations is that we're, we're trying to break traditions um, that are unhealthy. So like, let's talk about the black community, um, you know, mental health, like encouraging conversations around mental health and around, you know, equality between um, parents and children and, and things like that. Because when we th- look at how colonization has affected black people when we look at how the transatlantic slave trade has affected black people we know that many traditions that we have passed down from generation to generation um have high well, maybe not high but they have certain elements of trauma in them and so for someone like me where i do cherish tradition and i do like to see things continue on um even as the world quote unquote modernizes which isn't even a word or a term I really like to use, um, I do find myself often thinking about how traditions can be harmful and which traditions we should stop passing down and why others should continue on. Um, so I think that 
for those of you who who not even related to writing but for those of you who want to pass down certain traditions within your family you know i encourage you i I encourage everyone to think about what those traditions might be and why they matter and and what their place is within maybe your family um within your your larger culture and then within the human culture the the global culture that we have um because some of them a lot of them are quite beautiful and they're being revived but some of the traditions that we carry on and that we have pride in are very harmful you know um i think a big one in the west indies is talking about people's weight you know if i if i gained a little bit of weight and i went around my aunts they'd be like oh you're getting big you're eating good and then if i look a little skinny oh you're maga so i i want us to examine what traditions um that we pass down or traditions that we practice and sit and think with them and see are they beneficial or are they harmful you know another one with caribbean people is is unfortunately homophobia you know passing that down like to be a real bad man like what what did popcon say if you're a popcon fan i'm a fan of popcon and he says uh every yard man no gangsta na wear handbag so every every g knows that you know gangsters don't wear bags like women do and it's just that's that's a homophobic comment it's also probably a misogynistic comment and but it's a tradition you know in terms of like caribbean masculinity and what that looks like so i would just i want us to think about how we break down traditions and what we're passing on and what we need to let go of so in t- in talking about you know popcon and and dance hall in jamaica i kind of wanted to talk about something positive um because i love jamaica i love J- jamaican people um, Jamaican culture. I feel like Jamaicans do a good job of putting on for the rest of the West Indies, at least for the most part. Um, so I wanted to kind of tie that in with the Cromanti um, collection that we're doing and, and the broader, you know, Cromanti history and talk about Samuel Sharp. So Samuel Sharp is one of Jamaica's national heroes. It's unclear if he is um, Cromanti. I'm sure that given the Cromanti presence on the island, he most likely does have Cromanti ancestry. But Samuel Sharp is um, hes a national hero of Jamaica, and he was born into slavery in the parish of St. James, Jamaica, on a plantation owned by Samuel and Jane Sharp. So as you can see, um, he took his slave owner's names, um, which is very common all throughout the diaspora. That is why... Um, people have, well, black people throughout the diaspora have last names that come from European places, you know, whether they're Hispanic or, you know, French or whatever. That is why we have these European names. Um, and essentially he was, Sam Sharp was famous because of his role in one of the most well-known slave revolts, um, in the West Indies. So essentially, he had led what was supposed to be a a peaceful protest within Jamaica. He was able, it's a shocker, I heard this on um, a Caribbean Studies podcast that I listened to, and it's a shocker because he was able to enlist so many people to take part in essentially what we would call a strike. So he had... Um, tens of thousands of enslaved Africans. I think it might have been anywhere between 40,000 and 60,000 enslaved Africans um, take part in this strike where they refused to work because Samuel Sharp, you know, he believed that 
um, the leader of England at the time, wanted to end slavery. He was overhearing abolitionist talks um, amongst the white people within Jamaica, and they were talking about um, ab abolishing slavery within the British colonies. And so he used this information to inspire um, enslaved Africans within Jamaica um, alongside preaching um, to create this plan for a bunch of enslaved Africans to um, not work. So he had the privilege um, as a preacher to travel from plantation to plantation. And this was actually allowed within Jamaica. Um, it wasn't encouraged, but he had the privilege to do so. And in doing so, he was able to spread this. Um, he was able to spread this uh, this plan to different enslaved people on different plantations um, all across Jamaica. And he would make people swear on the Bible. Um, and so people who took this oath would then, you know, basically enlist others and have them swear on the Bible as well. And essentially the protest was supposed to be peaceful, but naturally, um, if you're an enslaved person and you've been mistreated your whole life, you've seen people around you be mistreated, you know, you want to defend yourself because whether they were peaceful or not, there would be severe punishment. And so some of the um, enslaved people ended up burning down plantations. I believe six plantations caught fire. Um, and in retaliation for, for six weeks, um, for a month and a half, um, Jamaica was like, quote unquote, out of control. And so when the British government, after being embarrassed, um, they ended up rounding up, I think nearly 3000 slaves based on what I had heard in the podcast, they killed 3000 slaves. And this was because supposedly 11 white people had had lost their life. But according to research that was done, this was actually an exaggeration. And it was only two white people that had died. So very interesting to see how, you know, potentially two white lives are equal to 3000 black lives. Um, very, very disheartening and very sad. But Samuel Sharp, he um, he ended up dying or he died pretty young. He died at uh, 28 years old. And he was actually not very well known within Jamaica's history. It was only until after um, they had become an independent nation that um, they began to t teach um, the history about Samuel Sharp within schools. Actually, in 1975, the, um, the government of independent Jamaica proclaimed that he was a national hero. And they gave him the title of excellent Samuel Sharp. So I figured that was like a pretty cool tidbit, you know, the likelihood that he probably does have Cromanti ancestry. I felt like why not include him, especially because we already talked about Queen Nani of Jamaica. Um, and while this, you know, a lot of this podcast is inspired by Karaku, which is in Grenada, you know, this is a Caribbean podcast as a whole. And even even outside of that, we talk about the African diaspora as a whole. So within the states and within you know, countries that might be on the South American continent. Um, but I want to talk about Sam Sharp. He's also referenced in a song by Vibes Cartel, um, Stand Strong, which was released in 2019. And he has come out in different forms of media. So that was my little tidbit about, you know, Jamaican history, how it how it likely ties to Cromanti people and their their presence in the West Indies and more. So to bring it back to another aspect of what Power BT is about, which is um, literature inspired by the West Indies and the regions that have contributed to West Indian culture, 
um, I wanted to talk about this idea of nation language. And this this term was coined by a scholar and poet named Kamoy Braithwaite, who is actually from Barbados, Big Up My Bayesian people. Um, Barbados has such a, a rich history um, when it comes to their contributions, not only to the Caribbean, but to, um, I would say, like African diasporic culture. And some of it is a byproduct of Barbados's existence as um, a slave colony, which is unfortunate, but based on research that I found, I think Barbados has the largest record of of African slaves in the world. They have it's within Barbados, and I think rum was also invented in Barbados, as well as the fact that they say that um, the the practice of the transatlantic slave trade was perfected within Barbados. So they were able to figure out how long they could um, keep an enslaved person alive, how hard they could work them how many children they could get from them all within Barbados, even though they were practicing it all throughout the Americas. This is, I guess, the cradle of where they perfected this horrible, horrible um, economic practice. Um, But to bring it back to Mr. Braithwaite, he is from Barbados, and he is considered to be one of the major voices in the Caribbean literary canon. And so he came up with this term called nation language, which is used to describe the work of writers from the Caribbean and the African diaspora as a whole when their work is written in non-standard English, um, which, you know, combats the idea that our languages, whether it's Patois or or Pidgin and things like that, even AAVE, that they're not dialects, that they're fully fun- functioning languages, um, specifically Creoles, in different um, capacities. And so that is where this idea of nation language comes comes from. You know, he is quoted saying that we in the Caribbean have a kind of plurality because we have English, which is the imposed language on much of the archipelago. It is a imperial language, as are French, Dutch, and Spanish. So these are Kamoy Braithwaite's words. He also goes on to say that we also have what we call Creole English, what people might call Batois, which is in Jamaica. Um, in Guyana, they call that Creolese, and that's me interjecting. But to continue on with his quote, he says that Creole English is a mixture of English and an adaptation that English took in the new environment of the Caribbean, where it became mixed with other imported languages. We also have what is called nation language, which is the kind of English spoken by people who are brought to the Caribbean, not the official English now, but the language of enslaved people and indentured laborers, the servants who were brought in. So essentially, this is this is powerful work. To me, this is powerful stuff because he's trying to establish the, the, the importance of Creole of what people will call non-standard English um, or maybe non-standard French. Um, he's trying to establish the importance of these languages um, in written work, not just in casual conversation. Um, so writers who most commonly use nation language include Samuel Salvon, Louis, Louis Bennett, John Figueroa, Archie Markham, Linton Quesi Johnson, Mark Matthews, John Agard, Jean Bintabrise and others of the younger generation. So um, younger writers are, are doing this more and more. And you see this, I would honestly add Nicole Dennis Ben to this list. And if you don't know who she is, she is a Jamaican author, 
Um, she is a, a queer woman. She lives in New York and she's written the books Patsy and Here Comes the Sun. So I would honestly, if I had written this um, article about nation language, I would have added her to that list because her her stories are great and she writes them in Jamaican Patois and I just love it. I love it to death. But I kind of wanted to talk about this on Power BT because, of course, if you're this far in the podcast, you know I'm using English Creole, I'm using French Creole. Uh, those are probably the main two that I will be using just to reflect Grenada's culture and the fact that my my parents are from Grenada and Guyana. But I just love this this idea and I'm glad that sometimes I think it's very easy for us to think that all of the ideas we come up with that we think are very important are original. And for me, it's it's really reassuring to see that they're not. And the reason I say that is because, you know, when you are the first to think of something, you're laying all the groundwork. And on the other hand, when you are not the first to think of something, you can then refer to other people's work and build off of what they have created. And I would honestly prefer to do the latter, especially with something like this, because while people have dedicated their lives to these subjects and um, have, have done a lot of work, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done by the by our generation, by my generation. There's still a lot that needs to be preserved and, you know, revitalized. And so I'm glad that I'm part of an ongoing legacy of Caribbean writers and historians, as well as you could even throw spiritualists into that, that uh, list of titles that is working to not only keep our practices alive, but to help them grow. And so that's just why I like the fact that people have come before me and done this because now I am part of a legacy. I mean, we're all part of them. But if we honor the fact that we're part of, of, of a movement of continued work, it just kind of reemphasizes the importance of community, at least to me. So I just kind of wanted to talk about why I find nation language important, this idea of nation language, especially when we talk about Caribbean literature. Um, and it's just motivating for me um, when it comes to my writing and when it comes to creating work for this podcast. So before we get into today's story, which comes from Karaku's Big Drum Dance tradition, I just wanted to once again reiterate what it is. Karaku's Big Drum Dance is a traditional religion. It is a syncretic religion done within the island of Karaku and I think even Petite Martinique. I'm not sure. Um, some sources that I've seen have said that. Um, my family is from Karaku, so I only really know about Karaku and a bit about Grenada. I don't know too much about Petite Martinique, so I apologize. But I will just say that it is done specifically in Karaku. Um, it is also called Saraka. It is also called the Nation Dance. Um, and at one point during Grenada and Karaku and Petite Martinique's French colonization, it was referred to as Guatambu. You can learn a lot more about Karaku's Big Drum Dance online. Um, it has honestly been pretty well documented since the mid-1900s. Um, and I also have spoken about it in great detail on episode 5 of this podcast. So if you're interested in that, I suggest referring to episode 5, whether you want to finish this episode first or pause it here, go listen, and then come back. So I just wanted to reiterate that that is essentially the source of inspiration for these short stories here on Power BT. We are currently in what I am calling the Chromancy Collection, which is a collection of short stories that I've written, which is inspired by the Chromancy Nation songs. 
Um, so today's song is called Ina. It is also called Salamanio. Um, and I'm going to play a recording of the song. There are two versions of it. Um, I'm going to play them both for you guys to listen to before we break down the lyrics um, together. And I give you um, what I have found based on my research and then as well as my own thoughts before getting into today's story. So those two recordings of this song, Salamanio, um, it's interesting to note a few things. For the first one is that the lyrics, the way they're sung, they're different. So in the first recording, that is actually from Alan Lomax's time in Karaku when they recorded it with Mary, Mary Fortune and Sugar Adams and Winston Fleury. And that was done in 1956. So as you can see that the beat is much faster and the words are different um so the way mary fortune i believe if that's her singing the way she says it um it just has a, a faster tempo but in the second recording this is actually a collaboration between engineers and musicologists from karaku um and cuba so while the former is a recording that is done between Americans and kayaks or Grenadians as a whole, the second one is is in was is in within the region of the Caribbean. It is done between Grenadian people and Cubans. And another interesting thing is that in Alan Lomax's um recording of the song, this song is labeled as a Cromanti Nation song. However, between the people from Karaku in Cuba, nearly 30 years later, this song is labeled as a Temne Nation song. It's not sure why there's this uh, confusion upon the label of the song. I personally went with Alan Lomax's label, and the reason I did is because it is from an older time. And so as time has passed, you know, the tradition has weakened in a sense 
Um, and so that 30 year difference might mean a lot. That might be why there's confusion between what nation this song belongs to. So in the older recording from 1956, the song is labeled as a Cromanti song. And that is why I have added it as part of the Cromanti collection when it comes to the stories I'm creating. Now, in terms of the lyrics, I'm not sure where the word Salamanio comes from, but there's an understanding that Salamanio means we greet thee. And Ina, which is spelled in two ways, E-N-A and I-N-N-A, um, Ina is supposedly, according to Lorna McDaniel's research, Ina is a Hausa spirit um, from the Hausa nation, um, which is also um one of the nations of karaku's big drum dance and essentially in traditional house of religion ina is the mother of all of the bori which is their term for um spirits and their traditional re religion is called maguzawa i apologize if i'm mispronouncing anything um but this is what i'm told so it's interesting that, once again, this is labeled as a Cromanti song, because if it does have Hausa roots, then it would make sense for this to be a Hausa Nation song. Um, but it's not. It's labeled as, you know, Cromanti, it's labeled as Temne, but potentially it could even be Hausa. And thinking about this, uh, I'm still going to include it in the Cromanti collection, but it's something that I wanted to make note of. Now, there's also another theory on the on the word because in Akan culture which is you know one of the groups within the Cromanti nation Ina is a kinship word and it is spelled E-N-A-O so it's very interesting to like think about where this this entity this spirit basically comes from and what their name means you know in different West African groups because obviously you can have a word that is used in different languages as part of different cultures and it can have similar meanings or um, completely different meanings. Now, in Karaku, Ina is also referred to, she's also referred as Mama Nu, which, pat, uh, which translates from Patois or Creole to mean mother of us all. So this aligns with the Hausa meaning that Ina is the mother of all spirits. Um, and, you know, in Karaku, she kind of retains this type of higher power position because she is seen as essentially like an elevated ancestor, similar to Cromanti Kujo. The only difference is Cromanti Kujo was a real person. Ina is a, a, a spiritual figure. And I think the last thing I want to add about Ina, you know, as a, as a spirit, you know, as, as a entity that is essentially part of Karaku's big drum dance pantheon um because and that's interesting to say just because Karaku the big drum dance is seen as like a spiritual dance and as a spiritual religion and because of how it functions with you know existing alongside the church um you know people are Christians and they worship God and if they're Catholic they worship the saints and um it's not really noticed that there are, are spiritual entities within the religion but this kind of points back to what I said in episode five, how there is um, an established pantheon within the tradition. Um, and this pantheon consists of spirits like Hanansi, of Ina, 
um, Cromati Cujo, Dambala, Legba, um, and even Oko, which is an Orisha. So it's interesting to see that as I and others research Karaku's Big Drum Dance, um, more, there's more and more evidence that at one time, likely in Karaku's, in the early inception of the tradition, of the religion, there was a, a distinct pantheon of, of spirits that people called on or referenced, um, and they were cognizant of doing so. Now, people might sing the songs, um, and I don't think I've heard anyone sing this song in any recent big drum videos that I've seen, like um, in like the 2010s and things like that. Um, but if people do sing these songs, they don't. Re they might not recognize that some of these songs are for different spirits. And if they did recognize it, some of them might um, feel negatively about that. And I don't think that's something to feel negative about. But that's just kind of something I wanted to add about, you know, as we go through these songs, um, I kind of keep in mind the spiritual importance of them and what they represent in the modern day and what they definitely what they represented in the past. Um, but today's story, um, inspired by this song, is called Mama Wayede. Um, and I hope you guys just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. Thank you for listening this far. And be sure to share, subscribe, leave a comment, and leave a review. Um, enjoy the story, you guys. Two young girls, Nemi and Madeira, held each other's hands tightly as they walked through the dark jungle. Nemi struggled to break through the lion branches and shrubs, whimpering as they broke against her small body and cut her pink and white dress into tatas. Madeira caught her younger sister as she stumbled, her hands finding Nemi's face in the darkness. Hold on, Nemi. We're almost there. Do we stop yet? Nemi's grip on her sister's hand tightened with the encouragement, and Madeira shielded her face with her left arm as she led the way. She did not know where they were walking or what they would find, but after the death of her mother, Monica, an old woman had visited their little house and bestowed these words upon them. You're getting to be grown faster than most should. If you want to take care of your sister, go through the jungle to the beach on the far side of the island. Don't let no one see you. When you reach, I'll go be there. Madeira, cried Nemi. I want to go home. My feet hurt. Madeira continued on with her sister. We're almost there, Nemi. Just a little further. No, Madeira. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I miss mommy. The whole of Mount Pleasant is celebrating she and we're not even there. Why, Madeira? Madeira's throat grew tight at the mention of the mother. She had died a week ago. And yet Madeira had yet to cry for her, despite the fact that she was the one who had found her body. Everyone in the village had always said Monica had a weak heart, but Madeira had thought they were just talking nonsense. She didn't understand how her mother could have a weak heart when she was the strongest woman she had known. Since the birth, Monica had played the role of man and woman. She was responsible for cooking, cleaning, working the fields, and selling what extra crops they had. And despite all the hard work she had endured, she was never hard on her daughters. Every night as the little home settled in for the night, Monica told her daughters a Nancy story, eliciting screams and laughs from Nemi and Madeira before praying with them and wishing them a good night. In a world that was hard on them, she was the softest yet strongest shield they had. 
after what seemed like an age, the two sisters finally broke past the last of the trees, their poorly dressed feet grateful for the soft sands. The rhythmic drumming from the Staraka on the hilltop rained down softly from above, its intense symphony absorbed by the land around it. A hunched woman, clothed in blue and white, stood at the water's edge, unmoving as the tide rushed in, pulling at the edges of her fluent pants. Madeira stepped forward, holding her younger sister behind her. Good night. Are you the woman from before? The old woman from the house after her mother passed? Madeira's heart skipped a beat as the old woman slowly turned around. Her dark lips slowly parted into a beaming smile, and the two of them could not help but stare at her teeth as they glinted in the moonlight. Yes, the woman confirmed. My name is Ina, but you may call me Mama Nu. Madeira watched curiously as Mama Nu stepped towards Nemi, bending down so the eyes could meet. What's your name, Dudu? Nemi clung tightly to her older sister, her eyes taken in the old woman. Her brow furrowed as something whispered in her ear, but Madeira did not seem to notice. Nemi's eyes fell to her feet before rising back to Mama Nu's. My name is Nemi. Mama Nu's smile widened even more, this time accompanied by laughter. What a beautiful name! You have a beautiful African name, you know that? And you? She turned to Madeira. What's your name? Madeira, she answered. Mama Nu stood to her for her full height, her face turning serious. She looked away from them and back towards the sea as a sudden wind picked up, pulling at the flowing white and blue of her dress. She glanced back at Madeira. You know, every name has a meaning. If it don't have a meaning, it has a history. Madeira, you know what your name is what people call Portuguese? It is an African name too. It is the name of an African island, a small island just like this one. The wind howled with fervor, causing Madeira to hug herself tightly against the cold. Mama Nu, why you call us here? Are you going to be our new mother? Nemi asked, her words seemingly hushing everything around them. Oh, you poor child. Mama Nu's voice cracked with sorrow. She turned to face them again. I have always been your mother, the same way I have been your mother's mother. I am the mother of everyone on this island. If only you had known my name, you could call me sooner. The wind that had assaulted them from the sea suddenly battered them from behind, rushing down into Mama Nu's dress. Nemi screamed and Madeira grabbed her sister. The two of them buried their heads into one another, shielding themselves from the sand that whirled all around them. Madeira fought to breathe, but she couldn't. Both of the girls collapsed to their knees, losing consciousness as Mama Nu began to rise into the air, their vision fading into darkness. When the two girls awoke, the sun was up. The two of them shielded their eyes against the blinding light, groaning in confusion. Nemi suddenly squealed in excitement at the sight before them, and Madeira's lip trembled heavily as she too caught sight of the mother, Monica. The two girls ran into the mother's arms, falling into the sand. Mommy, Madeira struggled to find her breath through the tears of relief and confusion. How, is this real? I saw you dead. Mommy, where you there? Monica shushed her, 
quiet, Dudu. We will talk later. We must give thanks first. The three of them looked up as Mama Nu arrived from the jungle, this time with an entourage of women. The three women closest to her each carried a drum. A voice from an unknown singer let out a joyful yip, and the women began to, began to play. Mama Nu's voice broke out into a smile as the entourage broke into song. Salamani o inae mamano, Salamani o inae mamano, woyo, inae, inao, inae mamano, Salamani o. The song continued to play, and at that moment, the two girls, Nemi and Madeira, were simply happy to be back with their mother. Well, guys, that is today's episode. Thank you once again for listening. I I had a lot of different goals for the story. Um, the title, Mama Weyeda. Weyeda is a, a phrase used in the West Indies um, that's basically asking, where are you? And so obviously with the little girls, you know, their mother has passed away. And I wanted to kind of tie that into the title, just the fact that a mother figure is missing. And so Mama knew you know, also known as Ina, she kind of functions as the fairy godmother for the children. And she, you know, takes the place of their mother and helps reunite them together. Um, so that is how the story ended out. Initially, that's not what I wanted. I wanted these two girls to like join um, like a, a secret society within Karaku. But I knew that would be hard to put into a short story because I would have to narrate it. And I just try to keep these episodes from going too long. So that's kind of the inspiration and the connection between my story, Mama Wayade, and the Karaku Big Drum Dance song, Salamanio. I forgot to add the disclaimer that my story is not the origin of the song. It is inspired by the song. So that's something to always remember. These are works of fiction. Um, these are my own, you know, creations that are inspired by this long-standing tradition. And I just want to reiterate that um because the tradition pre predates me and predates the stories that i'm telling because i wrote them um but in terms of the history on mama new there's not much history out there i mean she's just known as the mother of us all you know apparently and likely whatever ideas people had about her were lost over time you know due to plantation the violence on plantations um, and, you know, the change of languages and, you know, the Christianization of African people within Karaku. So a lot about Mama Nu is not known, but I just knew that she is a, a, an elevated ancestor. Essentially, she's a matriarchal figure spiritually. And so I just wanted to tie in the themes of motherhood and, and you know, the importance of having a mother in this story. So once again, thank you for listening. You know, subscribe to the podcast share it leave a review if you share it on twitter please use the hashtag powerbt which is the same as the podcast i have also added a publication on medium which i will leave a link to so you can see the stories in their written form in case you wanted to look at it later um and just follow me on twitter and instagram to stay updated with powerbt and once again thank you all for listening